Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good afternoon. Scott Luton, Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, how are we doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing fantastic. I look forward to hearing about your big weekend. Uh, but here on The Buzz today, not only do we talk about your big weekend, but we got a big guest talking a big topic, uh, talking infrastructure here today and yeah. that big, massive bill that's winding its way through Congress, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting to get um, Bill's perspective on that. Bill's perspective on the bill. So. <laughs> so you're alluding to, Greg, you let the cat out of the bag. We have Bill Sullivan with the American Trucking Associations, who's going to give us his take, his expert take on the on the massive infrastructure bill that is very close to getting passed by Congress. So buckle up and get ready, because we also want to hear from you and get your take on our conversation today. Yeah. So Greg, man, we got a bunch of folks already tuned in. We're going to say hello to a few folks. Uh, and just as Leah was early to class today, <laughs> she must run down the hall. And she's in Nashville now and married. Right. So, congrats certainly uh, to you and the family, as Leah. Hey, really quick, speaking of uh, the family, for uh, any of our extended family members and, and members of our community down there in uh, the Gulf Coast, um, prayers and best wishes. We've been we've been uh, touching base with some of our friends down there and what they're going through and. And look, Greg looks like the damage estimates, of course, are early, and they're just now kind of wrapping our head around uh, what the hurricane did, huh? Yeah, but the levees held. That's the important thing, right? Um, finally, we've gotten past enough Louisiana government corruption to actually make things work. So <laughs> I'm, I feel pretty good about that. Well, I mean, Katrina, if the, if they had been controlling the infrastructure as they should have, they wouldn't have had the catastrophe before, but. Mm. Um, fortunately they got the work done and it's paid off. So that's good news though. The entire city of new Orleans is with, was without power early reports. So that, right. That is a huge impact. Agreed. We've been watching local new Orleans channels via YouTube live. And it's really fascinating to kind of see that local perspective. But to your point, Thank the good Lord uh, that uh, the deaths and the fatalities and the injuries don't appear to be uh, what, uh, to your point, what Katrina was. Gosh, just a massive storm. Okay. Um, well, let's, on a much, much lighter note, Greg, much, much lighter note, you had a, a little bit of a, a travel weekend here. What is this that you sent me this picture of? <laughs> so that could be uh, Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. Um, yeah, so I went up there with my youngest daughter, who is also a huge Chiefs fan. She got an official little sign. It was her first game in the stadium, so that was pretty cool. Love that. Um, man, I got to tell you, it was a great game. First of all, it was it was a preseason game on, on Friday night. It was great, and uh, only about a half full stadium. I cannot imagine the mayhem when that stadium is completely full because it was mayhem. <laughs> when half full, it was just amazing. I, I hadn't hadn't been there in quite a while, um, and they've the stadium itself is the original stadium it's always been since whatever that was sixty six yep. seventy or seventy one something like that. Um, 
but they've added so many great facilities to it. It is just, it's an incredible structure, incredible fan base. Um, we, you know, the, um, one of the players on the chiefs team used to play for the Vikings. So that was interesting. Also went to college <laughs> with my oldest daughter and he, he was fantastic. Jarek McKinnon in the first half. And, you know, most importantly, got to spend it with friends and family and my uh, baby girl, Ashlyn, baby at 19, um, really, really enjoyed it. I mean, it was just, it was a great time. Stifling hot in Kansas City. <laughs> One of the best places to watch a football game. You'll add it to your bucket list. And great to have you back in the saddle. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Thank you. A couple of quick events we got coming up, including tomorrow's webinar, not on the Chiefs football and game strategy, but this is all about a data-driven approach to smarter deals, right? right. We're partnering with our friends at Enable, which is coming fresh off a, a big run, fundraise round, $45 million, I believe. We'll learn, learn some of the magic behind what they do. Uh, join us 1130 tomorrow, and it's free to join us. Find a link in the show notes. Also, Greg, our biggest event of September is where we're yeah. partnering with the one and only Larsa Seri, uh, her annual event, Supply Chain Insights Global Summit, where the virtual exclusive provider of the virtual uh, programming. Um, you can still, there's still time to register. Not much time, still time to register. Uh, SupplyChainInsightsGlobalSummit.com. And Greg, if they need help with a business case for registering for this two and a half day event, who do they go see? You, go, you can go see me. I, I will help you with the business case. And... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is so powerful. And as Leah is in Nashville now, so she could actually go, go. Right. Right. I mean, it's for practitioners. It's for managers. It's for leaders. It's for the future and looking toward the future. But it's also what you can do today to be prepared for that future. So. Nice. I love that. So y'all join us. September 7th is the kickoff. You can find the link in the show notes. And if you need a Kansas City Chief business case maker, come see Greg White. Um, new event, new event. Uh, September 14th, we're partnering with our friends, Open Techs and CIO. This is their annual connection summit. Uh, we're we're going to be, Greg, you may not even know it yet, but we're going to be part of a panel focused on digital, uh, uh, digital resilience uh, and how we can prevent some of these supply chain disruptions that we're going to certainly touch on here today. And here's the best news, folks. It's free to join us. So, of course, it's a virtual event. It's in uh, partnership with our friends at, uh, again, at CIO and Open Text. And I think Amanda has a link. You can drop that in the comments if you would now, Amanda. But it's tiny. We've got others. It'll be added to our website soon. But tinyurl.com forward slash September or SCPT 14 with SCN. So click on the link as well that Amanda is dropping. You ready for this one, Greg? I am. Any uh, Anytime we get to talk to these folks, you know, of course, um, Mark Morley has kind of led the charge on several episodes where we've been talking with folks about data transformation and data integration. And, and in this day and age of trying to create transparency and visibility in supply chain, absolutely critical. One of the smartest people I know, Mark Morley. So looking forward to uh, reconnecting with him and his team as part of this event. So y'all yeah. join us September 14th. Okay. So, Greg, we are going to pause for a second. We're going to say hello to some of these folks that are yeah. joining us here today. You ready? Let's do it. So, of course, Azalea is with us. It's supply chain time. Uh, Azalea, newly re new resident of Nashville. Uh, looking forward to hearing your perspective today. Jill is with us via LinkedIn. Good morning to you. Jill, you got to let us know where you're tuned in from. 
Of course, Peter Bolay, all night and all day, is with us again from Canada. Yeah. David is with us. David, old DK, good to see you here today. Liking these new images we're, we're getting from you. Tell us about your recent trials and tribulations in the Jeep 4x4. But great to see you here today. Sushil Greg is back with us. Sarah, also via LinkedIn. Sarah, let us know where you're tuned in from. We'd love to know. Dr. Lotfi is tuned in via LinkedIn. Great to see you. Hey, Greg, one of your favorite people, one of our favorite people is tuned in. Yeah. What, do you, what, do you, what do you think Gary's thinking this morning? I think he's thinking that he's glad that you're on the proper side now <laughs> and I'm on the other side. I don't, I don't know if it's his left or our left, but whatever. <laughs> my, you're on my left right now. So. Great to see you. Uh, of course, Halen from New York, where hopefully you have some cooler weather up there. Gregory is with us, not Gregory S. White, but Gregory from the, the Caribbean, the Shakespeare of supply chain is with That's us right. here today. Natalie, hope this finds you well. Tuned in via LinkedIn. Good to see you here. Uh, let's see. I like Ramon's take here. Let's start with some positive supply chain news today. Greg, do we have something for Ramon? Well, we do, but we're not going to start with it. <laughs> right. uh, I mean... Gosh, you know, it's funny because um, what is I've heard this statement frequently. The best supply chains are the ones that don't make the news. Mm. Right. And um, probably the best news is that your respective supply chain isn't in it. It's a good point. Right. It's a good point. The Huckleberry. <laughs> I always get this wrong. The Doc. Holiday. Holiday of supply chain. <laughs> <laughs> I know pretty- you want to say Hollywood. <laughs> Fred, hope this finds you well. We got to reconnect. We're overdue for that lunch, but great to see you here today. Rhonda is with yeah. us and on time. So nice to have you, Rhonda. And, and welcome everybody. Great to have everybody. I know we couldn't get to everyone, but y'all, y'all pick the right one here today. Actually, Gene, North Alabama. I love that. Anyone that lets us know succinctly, hey, we get we got to give them a shout out. Gene, hope this finds yeah. you well. Enjoyed your episode on supply chain is boring. Okay, so Greg. We got to jump into the news because we got a big guest. As we mentioned, Bill Sullivan with the American Trucking Association's yeah. star of the show is with us at, to give us his fresh take and and informed take on what we're seeing with this infrastructure bill. So let's jump into some news. You ready? Let's do it. Okay. So first up, according to the Maritime Executive, Greg, the Maritime Executive, which hey kind of describes you pretty soon. New records are being broken at the ports in Southern California but not the kind of records that we want to break. 72 container ships are in port in Los Angeles and Long Beach. That surpasses the previous record of 70, uh, which was set back in just February, not, not 20 years ago, more like uh, you know six months ago. Right. So get this, Project 44 says that, quote, the antiquated rail and road infrastructure on the West Coast is preventing the efficient removal of containers at the port, end quote. But hey, there is some good news, Greg, and there always is if you go looking for it. The average weekly dwell times at the ports have dropped a whopping three days. So they're working hard to get news. Yeah, they're working hard. They're you know, doubling down those hardworking folks, professionals to clear that backlog. But it just the tidal wave keeps on coming. Yeah, I think one of the things that is concerning is that they are they have stopped moving containers we saw, we reported on this some time ago to Chicago, so that's probably creating some additional backup. Agreed in, in the port area. Yep, good point. 
All right, so we're going to move quick here. We've got to save a lot of time to speak with uh, Bill Sullivan here about a big, big bill, piece of legislation. So uh, a second here on the buzz, we're talking IKEA. And according to CNBC, IKEA is rolling out a furniture buyback and resale program. So the pilot program is going to start in Pennsylvania. I wonder why they they chose that, but uh, it's going to be rolled out nationwide. And it really follows other IKEA programs in a wide variety of other countries because it's all part of their massive uh, strategy to uh, make making its business more sustainable, more sustainable. Um, so Greg question for you here. Do you buy? And then, and by the way, the story via CNBC spoke to, you know, they kind of had some data around different generations and, and their proclivity of purchasing secondhand and used items and and some of those figures might surprise you but i want to go straight to the source here greg would do you buy used furniture i absolutely would um i mean i I think that there's a lot of opportunity in the marketplace for that well you know what's particularly impressive about this is the cost of ikea's furniture is so reasonable that it's that it is good enough quality to actually be resold is is impressive Right. I mean, if you think about some of the, they almost feel like paper mache desk desks that you used to get back in the eighties and nineties, right. You built it at home and you wouldn't dare ever try it. I mean, most, most times you broke it while you were building it. Um, and you wouldn't dare try to resell it to anybody. <laughs> so I, I really think that that really speaks well to their quality, but yeah, I mean, we've got used furniture in our house now. Yep. So agreed. Actually, my desk is used for <laughs> man. You're just you're surprising me left and right here today. <laughs> but I can hear you've been peeking on my furniture uh assembly skills, which are very, very lacking here. Uh Rhonda appreciates your honest attitude, Greg. I do as well. And Gary says, Hey, the IKEA news is great for the circular economy, which I agree with that. I do. Yeah. They're already they already work hard to be sustainable. Right. Right. I mean, they use a lot of bamboo and, and that sort of thing. So, which is eminently replenishable. So, Hmm. um, this just adds to that. And I think that's, you know, that is a, it's a good idea. It's a, it's a good, it's a good statement around why building quality makes sense because if you build it and it can be reused, it doesn't wind up in the landfill. Good point. And they certainly know their, their customer. And you see devoted fans everywhere, including Amanda. Uh, so, all right. So, well, we'll have to keep our finger on the pulse of this buyback program. Tons of opportunity. I agree with you there, Greg. Let's shift over to one final story here. Um, and I think this is, I believe, just my take, I think this is underreported. You know, a lot of times when we're talking about labor and China, in the same conversation, you're talking about uh, the big advantages of, of outsourcing and, right. and offshoring. But here, labor pains, as reported by the Wall Street Journal, aren't just being felt in the U.S. Times are changing in China as well. So young people, as the reporting lays out, young people in China more and more don't want to work in factories. And they're opting for service industry jobs that either pay more or they're less demanding. In the bigger picture, China is also fa- facing a shrinking labor pool, right. especially in the manufacturing industry. And Greg, right. you may, you know, one of the things they, that the article points to was that the um, one child uh, per family policies that I think for several decades China had in place, which is one of the reasons right. of the shrinking labor pool. Uh, manufacturers in the country are having to either boost salaries or pay bonuses, which of course eats into the, the, the profit margin that they're 
you know, competing with. Mm -hmm. So Greg would love to get your take here on the Chinese labor market and pains therein. Yeah. Well, let's just, let's just address the elephant in the room. I didn't know you had a choice in China. So it's good to see that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That you aren't just stuffed into a factory. Well, some people are, but most apparently are not right. You aren't just stuffed into a factory to do your job for the, for the common good. Um, So I think that's, a really interesting dynamic. And of course, there, as you said, their one child initiative uh, has started to come home to roost over a decade ago. Um, and it, it's creating major issues there. There are way more men than women uh, because, well, I mean, when they had one kid, they chose to carry on the family name, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so that, I, I mean, I think that it, there are, are additional issues in China that we aren't hearing about. I, you know, I've heard some rumblings that there are some outbreaks and that they're cutting, um, they're cutting um, the number of workers in the ports and, and in transportation and even in the factories. So, but let's face it, China is, you know, they they have a tremendous amount of ability to produce robotics, and you know, even when we talk about robotics, we often talk about the fact that they'll come from China anyway, or big portions of the, of the, uh, materials that you build them out of will. So they'll, they'll figure out a way to make it, yep. make it work. Right. You know, that, so we're not be able to do that. This article and this reporting justice in the yeah, you know, five right. minutes we're going to give it. But one interesting factoid, it's been a couple of years since I, I, um, put my finger on the, on this metric. So we know that labor is much cheaper in China than it is in the States. You know, that's, clearly established, but the average wage, I think this is how they couch it. The average wage for uh, uh, um, a laborer in the manufacturing industry is $3 and is about worth $3 and 65 cents. And I was thinking about my first paycheck here in the state. Right. Is that an hour? (laughs) Yeah. Per hour. Yeah. Um, My first one back in 1994, what is that? 21, 27 years ago was $4.35. But it's interesting to see these inflationary um, powers and, and, and impact and dynamics, which we may see, uh, you know, the Chinese worker get a bigger paycheck. So uh, we'll see. We'll, you know, we'll keep our well, finger on the pulse. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that impacts economies globally, because that will change the, right. That will change the, Business case. Balance. Yeah, right. Sorry. Thank you. Good. Thank you. I'm going to change the business case for offshoring, right? Right. And, and that just becomes the latest uh, impact to that ever-evolving business case. So more on that, more on that to come for sure. But I want to, um, Greg, that was some of the stories that we're tracking here at Supply Chain. Now, again, for anyone that missed it, um, anyone tunes in from the Gulf Coast uh uh, feel free to would love to hear your experiences or, or hearts and thoughts and prayers and and um, um, you know all are with members of our community down the Gulf Coast. So um, hopefully we'll get through all of the damage here together in the next few days. Okay, want to share a couple of quick comments and we're gonna bring on our uh, featured guests here today. Again, we've got Bill Sullivan with the American Trucking Associations that will be speaking to the infrastructure package that Congress just about has wrapped up. But I want to share this here. Uh, Natalie says, supply chain in the human resources in or to China shut down neighboring countries 
to reduce the supply of workers. Huh. How about that? Uh, let's see here. Um, oh, Peter. Peter says his maybe his first job, 325 in 1978 in the warehouse. How about that? Um, let's see. David, looks like everyone's – y'all share what you made in your first job. David, $4 an hour washing trucks at a transport company when he was 13. How about that? I want to go back to uh, – we're talking about the Ikea store. was a nickel a bale. Ooh. I mean, a nickel a bale for baling hay. Oh, man. Those, those, alfalfa, not hay. Well, the, I was about to say, those those hay bales are much heavier than what most people might think. 100 uh, pounds, yes. Charles Heater, back on the Ikea problem. Interesting. On the Ikea buyback program, wonder if they will give the furniture a distressed look, as that seems to be a trend. Chances are good that it comes back with a distressed look. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, how much IKEA furniture goes into an apartment or or a dorm room? Right, right. <laughs> All right. So, uh, thanks for being here, everybody. We're gonna bring on the star of our show here today: infrastructure. All things infrastructure. Some of the some of the stories we touched on, of course, uh, infrastructure is big themes there, and the legislation that our Congress is attempting to get through and, and really address some some big gaps. Uh, there's all kinds of takes. But, Greg, I would offer up there's very few takes that are as informed and have a, have as much experience as Bill Selvin. So let's, we, let's bring on Bill Selvin, yeah. Executive Vice President of Advocacy with the American Trucking Associations. Hey, Bill, good afternoon. How you doing? And we might be... We might be having a little, hey, Murphy's Law is live and well, Bill, with all of these. Can you hear us? Give us a thumbs up if you can hear us. We might have a little bit of a lag. All right. There. He's a little jumpy. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I think I'm, I think I'm back. Okay. I think I had a little bit of Wi-Fi uh, wriggle, you wiggle. It's so on Fortnite. That's a- <laughs> well. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> well, Bill, welcome to the buzz. <laughs> and we're going to, you know, if we have any kind of lag or technical challenges, which happens, you know, we're going to work through that. Uh, hopefully the infrastructure bill will give us a lot more uh, uh, bandwidth uh, across industry. But oh. for, <laughs> first up, Bill, uh, before we get before we start talking infrastructure, I understand that you've spent a ton of time in Knoxville. Is that right? I am a, I'm a proud East Tennessean. Okay. I I uh, I have to say proud East Tennessee and and I'm slumming it in the swamp recently, but uh, uh-huh. but glad to be from there and glad to go back there as much as I can. Wonderful. All right. So one quick question before we start talking infrastructure: What's the go-to? Is there a hole-in-the-wall restaurant or or what's the item that living in in, in the Knoxville area that was you know that still st- uh, sticks between the ears? You know, I my time and I went to UT. Not only did I grow up in Knoxville, oh, but wow. I also went to UT. And my uh, my go to was the Copper Cellar Restaurant on Cumberland Avenue. That's right up uh, on your way to going to a football game. And never disappointed in in uh, steaks, burgers, whatever it was. And and as I've gotten older, I love going to the Gourmet Market, which is uh, to me a fantastic little restaurant uh, on Kingston Pike, not that far, but uh, just great breakfast food. Love it, man. Uh, I got to add to my our bucket list, attending a game in Knoxville and getting some of that delicious food, Greg. But Greg, enough food talk because we're talking infrastructure next. Is that right? Yeah. So 
it, we've been talking about this for at various levels, Bill, for some months now, and and now it's looking like this is this infrastructure bill is imminent, right? It, they're, they seem to be determined to get it passed before, well, in October. So um, it's a $1 trillion bill, which is down from the last proposal, but up from what we have had budgeted to be spent, spent on infrastructure over the last several years. So tell us a little bit about what you know about it what, or, or what you think it means for supply chains. It's great for supply chains. And, you know, when you say we've been talking about it for months, hell, we've been talking about it for 30 years. <laughs> you know, we, we haven't true. made a real significant investment in, um, in, in infrastructure and roads and bridges since, um, you know, fiddling around with the user fee back in the 90s. And, and um, you know, truckers supported increasing the user fee and, the uh, you know, federal fuel user fee. And just a quick bit to me, it... Uh, we don't believe we're conservative, you know, personally conservative. I don't necessarily mean politically conservative, though a lot of those. And you got to pay for stuff you you buy. And the user fee was a great has been a great model for 50 years to make sure that we don't borrow money and, and go into debt. Um, and the the infrastructure that we have in this country is what makes us different. That a common currency and a common language is what makes us different from any other place on the planet. So the whatever bizarre, you know, we don't want to pay for anything that's come along. Uh, it doesn't sound like East Tennessee roots to me. It, it uh, you know, there are things that we could borrow money against. I'm no modern monetary theorist, but this bill increases the spending on roads and bridges by 38 percent. That's a huge spend. And, you know, as, as you were looking at, you know, what's some good news on the supply chain? I think you and Scott did a good job. I think it's also just as a small bit part of that, that it looks like fuel production and oil production. And we haven't heard final from the refineries, but the problems with fuel could be a really big one. Um, it looks like we may have dodged the worst of that. But, you know, mm -hmm. God bless, fingers crossed, and we'll see what happens. The, the bill is critically important. We work closely with Donald Trump as president and with Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan. And Donald Trump had, as you as you pointed to, an even larger vision, a two trillion dollar vision for infrastructure. The man was a builder, is a builder, and um, and so this is a very uh, you know reasonable on the hard infrastructure, notwithstanding whatever political uh, you know fury that people have when their team isn't running the game. Right. But I'll say this: our CEO Chris Chris Spear and I are we don't we don't give two hoots. I worked for Republicans when I was on the Hill. Um, we don't give two hoots about who gets credit. We just need infrastructure. Right. And so, you know, credit goes credit goes to Joe Biden for keeping his word on this. Um, you know, there's this second piece, this, you know, human infrastructure, whatever we want to call it, sort of big social spending plan. Um, we're we're opposed to that. But on this infrastructure piece, um, it feels like members of Congress have forgotten how to be for anything. And so as we're traveling around, um, you know, I, all over the country, speaking to truckers, speaking to state trucking associations, uh, we're getting questions that sound like, you know, hey, if our team's not running the running the game, um, we should be opposed to it. And we're trying to uh, trying to tell people like, no, this is still just as important as it was when we were working with Donald Trump. So um, we think it's a big bill. A really huge part of it, since you opened the door, is there is a pilot for younger drivers in it. Um, this is a compromise worked out 
directly with the Senate Commerce Committee with the chairwoman, Maria Cantwell from Washington State. Hmm. Uh, we worked on it. And the if there is a way to begin to address some of the capacity concerns, and I know with the wrinkles from the pandemic in the supply chains, with chips, with other issues that are limiting equipment capacity, another part of capacity has been truck drivers having a driver shortage, and mostly in the over-the-road long-haul segments. Um, but we hope that this pilot will finally pave the way, and we believe that it will pass since it's in the bill that the House is waiting to take up at the end of September. And Nancy Pelosi agreed to, to pass it by September 27th, is our understanding of what her deal cut with the moderate Democrats in the House were. Um, but this pilot would be a part of that. And this pilot would allow up to 3,000 young men and women um, to go through a mentorship or apprenticeship type of training program, 400 hours of training, um, four technologies in every cab to see how can we safely get young men and women who have to have a CDL even before they get into it. So 49 states, District of Columbia, you can get a CDL today. You just can't drive interstate. So this is trying to answer the question, how can we increase participation for people, young men and women at the beginning of their work lives so that they can be long haul truck drivers, so that they can be short haul truck drivers, um, but help address that. I love uh, so I love a lot of that. Let me share a couple of comments, and Greg, I'm going to circle back and yeah. get your take on what Bill's just talking about. T-Squared, who's holding down the fort for us on YouTube, calls out the obvious. Our infrastructure is that of an aging dinosaur. Revamping and recreating is critically needed. And he's he's really talking about the hard infrastructure. Yeah. Rhonda agrees with Bill. I, I was hoping for more remote working. With remote working continuing, our roads would have an opportunity for repairs and less traffic. For trucking companies to move goods. Sad to see it appears we're back to heavy car traveling and increased fuel prices. I'm not a fan of all the extra fluff in infrastructure bills. I'm with you, Bill. And see, Asaleo says lots New of paid C- <laughs> right. yeah. lots of paid CDL incentives advertised out there, as well as sign-on bonuses for drivers as well. Greg, just from what Bill has shared thus far, what, what are you hearing? One of, the, one of the comments was really interesting on the aging dinosaur part. When I was still working in the Senate and had a number of state state DOTs come in and talk to me, they were coming in proud. And I don't want to point any out, but it was a small, single, it was you know, four or five of them. They would be proud that they had implemented a program to bust up paved roads and turn them into gravel which would reduce their maintenance costs and would oh, help them yeah. allocate their budget well. And I, and I just thought to myself, in, in the greatest country on earth where the infrastructure that we have and the cohesiveness of our supply chain is so vital to our economic success and way of life, what, what kind of backwards, backwards-ass stuff am I looking at that they're talking about busting up, you know, 19th, 20th century infrastructure and turning it into 16th century infrastructure. Like wow. if we are not willing to invest in our roads and bridges and ports and, and airports, and even now things like broadband, um, we're going to be speaking Chinese. You know, mm. the Chinese are building 6,000 miles of new highway, new interstate grade highway a year, mm-hmm. um, much less than what they're investing in other places. And I, Chinese are always antagonists, but on this, um, it's it's a model for us seeing the end of an empire here if we aren't careful about what we choose to send on and what we don't. All right. So Greg, that's, uh, that's putting it plainly from what I'm hearing with Bill Sullivan, your take, Greg. I, I think that 
first of all, I had never heard of such a thing. People breaking <laughs> up, breaking up uh, asphalt roads and turning them back to gravel. But I could absolutely see a state government being proud to do that in their twisted way. And this part of the issue we have with in- infrastructure, it's not just government, it's politicians. It's because we have we have funded infrastructure over the decades, right? It's just that the money has been ill used or redirected over all of that time. And I'm curious as we as we talk about some of what you've already shared, Bill, I know there's a there are some really key aspects of this bill that you feel are really powerful. Um, to me like truck drivers. Somewhat, right. To me, one would be a provision earmarking the money that it's used for the uh, for the intent that it is it, it's it's earmarked for. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but it's used for infrastructure. Let's keep it simple, right? Because we have yeah. had so much of these funds kind of kind of hijacked and used for other types of pet projects. So do you see is that one of the provisions that you've seen? Is there any chance that such a thing could occur? Uh, so I uh, yes and and I think that this does streamline the the formula pots of money and to which they go um you know the when I first started working on transportation issues on the hill in the early 2000s um we had you know a lot of a lot of opposition in the state of Tennessee I was working for Lamar Alexander I was from Tennessee and uh, and he had been a governor who whose platform was to build four lane roads in every county, all 95 counties in Tennessee. Um, but there was a lot of complaint about transit. There was a lot of complaint about flower beds and bike paths and, and all the rest. And there continues to be. And there is some bleed off in that with federal highway funds. It's an 80 20. Um, it's an 80 20 sort of the holy writ. Now, the grand detente is um, not to use fancy words, but sort of the grand bargain is this sort of 80-20, that 80% of the receipts into the highway trust fund go to highways and 20% go to transit and other. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm personally conservative. I know you all may have people with, uh, with other opinions on the show, but I lean <laughs> right the center. And, uh, and so we want to we see it spent on roads. And, and there, are, there are good programs. There's uh, $7.5 billion for bridge, uh, sort of bridge replacement related um, on top of this, and there's some for intermodal. Um, they renamed some of these. One of them's a raise, the raise program, and one of them is the build program. Um, but on top of that are just the decisions left to the states with the big influx, 38% uh, increase in the influx of funds that are going to go to the states. And if there's something that I'm most sad about in this in this bill, it's that they don't pay for it. They do, in fact, move most of the money from these unspent COVID funds. And even within trucking, we've heard from a number of companies, uh, employers that have, you know, truck drivers doing 85,000 plus. Hmm. Um, specifically, I've had a, a one guy working in the southeast who has a couple hundred drivers and said at some terminals when the stimulus checks came in and when the unemployment money was low and um they they had drivers disappear and he was starting people at 85 grand a year. Wow. So this wasn't the the old story about, you know, if you're making 30 grand a year, you might make 60, 70 off the unemployment insurance with the federal side. This was people with just a bunch of extra money in their pocket and for a number of different reasons um, chose not to not to work. And and so repurposing that stimulus money yep. to spend it on on roads and bridges, even if it was deficit spending, is is a good thing. 
Um, we were, All right, we were so, so Bill, really quick. Yeah. My phone's blowing up with a, a key question based on one of the stories we shared earlier. You know, where Project 44 uh, in their analysis really pointed out the the antiquated infrastructure related to, of course, the busiest ports, well, some of the busiest ports in the world, certainly here in the States, which is the West Coast ports of Long Beach and L.A. Um, do you see any any of this infrastructure bill you know, addressing items like that? I think it does in that it provides some of these intermodal grants that it's talking about can help build them out. Right. Some of those relationships in the ports, and I'm, I'm down, as I mentioned to you earlier, Scott and Greg, I'm down close to Charleston. You know, the Port of Charleston runs pretty smoothly and and is not, uh, you know, blessed or cursed with the kind of volume or the, quite the levels of volume they have in Long Beach and, and Port of L.A. Um, but the I think some of those relationships, you know, as cities and port authorities are working to figure out what the what the issues may be. I know that our our intermodal trucking companies struggle mightily with a lack of information coming in off the ocean shipping lines mm. and with some of the abuses and emerge fees that the ocean lines are trying to foist on truck drivers in the middle of these interchange agreements. Um, so they're struggling with those. Also are some of the uh, you know solutions that the port authorities are trying to work with the unions, whether they're longshoremen or other unions, so the, the local relationships and the local decisions in these ports have a lot to do with how many boxes they can get off, whether they can move them, where they move them to. Um, and the dwell time is, you know, the, the, seeing a dwell time drop by three days is terrific. Um, but it, you, you show that picture with all the, all the ships waiting out in the, in the bay, and, and uh, it's a problem. Right. So I, I think the, those, if there is ever a time to figure out when, uh, you know, when we might work with labor and business and ports authorities to um, resolve some of these challenges, they are, there's pressure on them in good times and in bad times, it just blows the system up. So um, mm. I, I don't, I don't, uh, our friends in the unions are good people. They're working hard, um, but everybody's going to have to step up and come to the table to figure out how to, how to resolve this problem. Right. There's a, there's a there's a there's a lot of competing objectives and priorities and and missions, especially when when you look at the sheer scope of this package. I mean, it's massive. So, Greg, first off, I'm gonna come back to you, and then we're gonna and Bill. We're, our next question will be, you know, what else uh, critical top aspects of this bill? But, Greg, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't mess with Bill Sullivan. Uh, he he's been in a in a in a rodeo or two. And, you know, uh, he knows, it sounds like to me, he knows how this stuff is crafted, knows some of the, the, the um, what I'll call the honest players in this, and then knows some of the, the reindeer games that goes on. But what, what are you hearing him, uh, him share, uh, share here, Greg? Yeah, I think it's precisely that. I mean, there's, you know, I, I know that's, that's your job, Bill, as part, a part of what you do, right, at ATA. But um, I think it's important to know the inner workings of these things because there are reindeer games, as you say, Scott, which I love. And, um, and there, you know, there are uh, unintentional inefficiencies as well in government, right? So, you know, there's a lot of pork barrel stuff going on and, and that sort of thing. And now we're looking at a trillion dollars that we've borrowed to do this with. Mm. So someone who knows how to deploy it um, effectively and knows how to avoid some of those reindeer games and, and make sure that the people or the organizations that 
deserve the money, get the money. It's particularly critical now because we've played so many reindeer games with our infrastructure right. dollars to this point that now we're in a desperate position where we have to deploy them properly. If we had deployed the $260 billion or so that was allocated for infrastructure over the many, many years in the past, we wouldn't be where we are. But now mm. we have to buckle down. Excellent point. And, and we got to have just like those, those uh, uh, intermodal folks want visibility on what's coming. We got to have visibility on these dollars being spent once this pa- package is, re- is uh, passed. And I'll just add, I bet Bill's got some more colorful ways of, of uh, describing reindeer games, but I won't, I won't put him <laughs> on spot and ask him, but Bill keep, keep sharing, keep educating us here because you know, uh, I can't remember at last count how many pages made up this infrastructure, and, and I'm ad- I can only imagine all the legalese. But break it down for us, you know, supply chain practitioners. What else is in this bill that we're going to love? Well, I think that the overall spend, and, and Scott, I didn't go in to look at how much is in their reports, but it, this allocates money to all the different modes. And so this allocates money to, you know, a, a passenger rail. I'll gag a little when I say it, but, you know, it's... It, 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 um, <laughs> You know, it it allocates money to a lot of different modes of transportation and significant amounts of money. And someone, uh, you know, from the Ports Authority whose job is focused on that can tell you more on what's in there. I know my last boss, Senator Richard Shelby from Alabama, uh, led the way on a on a sort of reconfiguring how the Harbor Maintenance Trust Fund, which funds the um, you know, dredging and construction and things around the ports. Mm. Um, but the the federal share of money that will be made available by this that is especially in the ports matched by private and state funds is really a, a huge investment. Um, so all of these matter. I just I keep coming back to a key thing for anybody's listeners, and that is you have to let members of Congress, you have to let your representatives know what you're for, not just what you're against, whether it's, you know, mm-hmm. Joe Biden or Donald Trump or whatever, you really have to let people know what you're for because we see so little of that. It, it's gotten significantly worse and everybody my age is complaining, but it's got, gotten significantly worse. This makes big steps forward across all those different paths. I think it's a, it's a really acute moment when we shut off the economy, we, we flipped a switch and shut off the economy, sent people home, no more school, no more cafeterias, where's my toilet paper? And then we flipped the switch back on and we didn't see something like a depression. Holy crap, like that's unbelievable. And when we're talking about how divided people are with Donald Trump and a house that hated him and a Senate that was narrowly divided, they passed these unanimously last year. So with the mm. PPP money and the CARES money, um, and we did the best we could given a horrible set of circumstances. Turning the economy back on has turned out to be, you know, bumpy, period. And right. yeah. so I think recruiting people into the industry, the thing that I'm the most excited about really is to reach young, young men and women at the beginning of their work life. Because what we've seen is private truck driving schools, people who are training truck drivers, the average age of someone coming into a private truck driving school is 35, 36 years old. So if you're from East Tennessee, like I am, and you had lots of friends when you're 18 who didn't want to go to college, but wanted to work hard and didn't have a bunch of speeding tickets or some drug convictions or other mistakes that young people make on the record at 18, they couldn't choose a, a big, bold career in trucking where they could have been making 40, 50,000 a year pretty fast and been making a hundred thousand a year within a few years. So you're not able to compete with plumbing, welding, you know, building trades, whatever it may be. 
Um, so finding people at the beginning of their work lives where they can get a few hundred thousand safe miles under their belt. And then if they have a family, because the biggest difference between me at, at 18 and me at 35 is I had a wife and kids at 35. And if the first rung of truck driving ladder is to get out there and, and put in a bunch of miles, be away from home for a week or two, um, that's really disruptive when you're 35. At 18, you can stand a little bit of that first rung on the ladder and then say, hey, I'm going to work and be home every night working for Target or Walmart or, or you know, driving for Pepsi or Cisco mm-hmm. or FedEx, whoever. Um, mm-hmm. So this, if we can somehow begin to, to recruit more people earlier in the work lives, I think the bubble, the, the, the perpetual thing, pandemic or not, that our chief economist has is always the driver shortage. Like, why do we have so much trouble? Why is there such high turnover in the over-the-road long haul? And right. um, it's a big deal. Yep. Agreed. All right. So, Greg, we only have a couple more minutes here with Bill Sullivan with the American Trucking Associations. Um, what else comes to your mind, Greg? What What other do you think folks would want to, you know, given the subject matter experts we've got here with Bill, what else are folks want to know about this, Pete, this, this package? I think, I mean, I'd be interested to see um, what aside um what aside from trucking and intermodal it and of course as you said passenger rail which bill it's hard to believe how long we've been wasting money funding amtrak and <laughs> like that isn't it but um something that i've used once in my life amtrak as a novelty right because was it parents, fun uh no it's awful honestly it was <laughs> awful. it goes wow. to the worst parts I'll, of america and and yeah, I mean, I, I didn't enjoy it at all. You don't really see the good scenery. It's not like you're riding along the edge of the Grand Canyon. You're, you're riding through my family's Indian reservation and looking at cars up on blocks and a vast wasteland in the southern part of Kansas and Oklahoma and 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 uh, New Mexico where we went through. Mm. It was not in any way pleasant, honestly. It's what right. it's basically what freight trains see. Sorry, that's way too far. That's way too deep on that. Topic, well, let me let me just say, I, I'll bet you all grandparents, like my grandparents, both took to the train from Knoxville to all kinds of places. So we somehow, you know, stopped investing at some point, and that, and I don't, I don't suggest for a minute that federal money ought to be the the solution to it. But, um, but I, if you live as as my wife and I have for the last twenty years in, in the greater DC area, there is a, an East Coast corridor, like on density, there are places where it works. If you right. live in Kansas City or you live in Memphis or you live in Atlanta, a little bit tougher. Um, yeah, but it's so got to be very say, dense and very commuter rail. I think commuter rail makes good sense. Just general public rail, it, it just especially these days, it just doesn't make much sense. If we get that, that high-speed rail. We still we still talking about that, you know, coast to coast like the Concord and, and thirty seven minutes flat, Bill? Hyperloop. I, I used to I used to try, Scott. Uh, I think I, I think you're down there around uh, around Atlanta area and, and mm-hmm. I used to talk about whether we could get Atlanta to Chattanooga. So you could live in Tennessee and have no income tax and you could commute down to Atlanta in half an hour and, and uh, you know, have a <laughs> right. fancy job at GP or, you know, <laughs> no. So let me, let me, a couple of, a couple of things. I, it's, I'm remiss if I don't say one important part of this, uh, our analysis is what's not in bill. And so the, um, what, 
what the what the Senate did to to recruit 19 Republicans to vote for it was they ironed out most of the Green New Deal, you know, as as um, you know, sort of glib vernacular, but the, they they ironed out some of the least areas of consensus, and some of those were in labor policy areas. Um, you know, there's talk about this PRO Act, Protecting the Right to Organize Act, um, and we have union carriers and non-union carriers, so we are agnostic about the union or non-union. But since the 30s, people have had a right to organize some of these, you know, get arounds and gimmicks to help labor bosses, but not help employees and to effectively make right to work states not right to work anymore um, is is inappropriate. And and then it also, as I think will would freak out many of our supply chain members, um, also gets into how we classify independent contractors. And we've seen a huge explosion of this an eruption in California right. with AB5. Um, which, you know, again, I'll, I'll be less than perfectly accurate, but basically criminalizes independent contracting in most industries because of their three-part test. And, wow. um, you know, the trucking industry wouldn't be able to serve the way it does now without being too able to pick up capacity when they need to with independent operators. And it just, it, it ain't American to, to penalize entrepreneurship. And so the people who have you know, started with one or two trucks and turned into a really successful freight business. Um, that's what the industry is. It's a post deregulation, incredibly competitive business. So, um, you know, that wasn't in there. They didn't raise the corporate rate. They didn't raise taxes to fund the bill. That was a big deal. Um, they didn't undo some some wins that we had with DOT on the West Coast with meal and rest break, where tri lawyers were just a bunch of blood sucking parasites. Uh, the um, the state labor agency wasn't enforcing anything. It was just all trial attorneys banging big companies that you aren't. There's a federal meal and rest break. There, there's a federal break. Um, but Californians were were in this posture that they should be able to do it. And, and Secretary Elaine Chow preempted that. And so uh, there had been talk about trying to preempt that. So we've been pleased with what what was not in the bill as much as we were what's in. It's a yeah. reasonable compromise. One thing that was in the House bill we're sad about was there was a billion dollar investment in truck parking. And I'm sure both of you all, when you leave your studio in your house, wind up seeing trucks parked on the side of the road. Yep. Um, making an initial real big investment to see what kind of uh, possibilities there could be to make it easier for truck drivers to to park their vehicles, take their rest breaks when they're supposed to, um, would make us all safer and would make the drivers safer, make the motoring public safer. Um, that was something we'll continue to push for. And there was really strong bipartisan support in the House. Mm. just didn't happen to make it in the Senate bill. But um, mm. big, big, big need. Maybe we can get that in a future bill. So, all right. So, uh, Greg, what I'm hearing here is, uh, despite maybe what we've heard, there's still uh, hope for grand compromises. And of course, when you have a compromise, you get some what you want, and you get some what you don't want. And I do like, you know, beyond what Bill has shared here today, my own homework. I do like the fact that you know it's not one party. You know, pushing it down. You know, there, there's a bunch of folks on both sides of the aisle that came together to craft this thing and, and pass it. And you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But Greg, your last word before we make sure folks know how to connect with Bill Sullivan and ATA. Yeah, I think they've done this as right as a political, a couple of political bodies can. I mean, one of the reasons I'm not in politics is because I could never stand all of the 
hijinks that went on to jam things into bills that are completely irrelevant to the bill itself. Um, and I just couldn't get my head around participating in that. So I think they've done a fair, a fairly good job. I mean, I think as good as we can expect in these times. And I think it also, it also points to the fact that this Congress, this government can get things done when they absolutely must be done. Um, and I think we finally all agree. It seems like probably to bill, especially decades too late or decades late, but uh, it, it feels like now is the time to get this done. We've been talking about it for a long, long time and ignoring and misappropriating the funds that were originally uh, intended for infrastructure. And now I think we're ready to get serious and put the money to work where it needs to be. Agreed. Hey, let, uh, one last question, Bill, really quick. And, and if you can't address it, just say, you know, you and I can tackle it over a, a barbecue sandwich, at one of those places up in Knoxville down the road that you mentioned. Um, the Association of Civil Engineers puts out a, re- a pretty, what I thought is a comprehensive report card, I think every couple of years, on infrastructure. Uh, is, that, um, is that PR or is that, is that really good, solid analysis based on what you've seen? I think it's a really solid analysis. They, they put a lot of work into it. And, and you're, you're smart enough to know it's a really great branding product for them. Every time they release it, it does come out and, and they get a lot of press. Um, but it's a sincere and well thought out product and they do it state by state. And so uh, I know when I was on the Hill, we relied on what we we would double check that with the state DOT. And it largely hewed to um, what the states believe, too. So I think it's pretty good. OK, excellent. Good stuff. Yeah. And it, it, they do a great job. It's very holistic. Touches on air, about every other uh, component uh, that, that is considered a part of infrastructure, including some things that you may not. You may not be thinking about, so I appreciate you addressing that. Okay, so Bill, you are doing a lot of great work at the ATA. Let's make sure folks know how to connect with you and the organization. What's the easiest way? You bet, Scott. It's uh, trucking.org is the easiest, and so our website will channel you, and and hopefully it's easy enough to navigate. We totally overhauled it a year ago, Um, and that includes um, some of the work that is going on in relief with the hurricane that includes um you know people who want to get involved with congress so um that's a good one and i'd also say we have we have two big shows coming up we have our technology and maintenance council which is one of our most attended which is in cleveland um september 12th through 16th i think and then we have our our big trade show which is our board meetings and trade show and and uh you know big showroom floor in god bless them nashville tennessee um, October, I think it's 23rd through 27th or 22nd through 27th. So, uh, we'll be back in volunteer state, even we're over in that stinky middle Tennessee part, but, uh, we're, uh, <laughs> we, we got a lot going on. And I, I got to say from going on the country, I was out in Montana, Montana trucking association. Chris, my boss was in Oklahoma and Arkansas. Um, it's really so cool to see people again, you know, and we, we're careful, we're wearing masks where we need to. And, and uh, but it's just, uh, you know, it, we're going ahead with our events, period. But we're um, it, we're thrilled to see how many people are coming back in and and starting to um, have dinner together. You know, and starting to do some things together. So love that. Thank you for we, the opportunity. You bet. We echo that sentiment 
completely. I really appreciate what you do. 37,000 ATA members, and it sounds like y'all take it real seriously getting out in the field and connecting with folks to to really put your uh, finger on the pulse. So I admire that. Trucking.org, folks. And it sounds like they're putting together a relief effort. Um, Amanda, uh, Jada, uh, Allie, if we can sc- scour their website, we'll, we'll share that direct link if we can. But Bill, really appreciate your time here today. I, I love your passion. I love, um, you know, Greg, it's always really cool to to bring folks on, you know, not the, the sayers, but the doers and not the uh, you know, folks that really know uh, the story behind the story. And Bill Sullivan strikes me as someone like that. And you know what? Uh, I bet... <laughs> I'd like to hear Bill's colorful language outside of uh, a public um, live stream. I bet, it, I bet it'd, be, it'd be pretty entertaining, Greg. What do you think? Yes. Solid Bill <laughs> Sullivan tells it like it is. That's the, <laughs> that's the headline, right? I mean, I, I really appreciate your knowledge and expertise here and, and your um, very direct way of representing this because it's important. I mean, it's important right. to hear it as it is, as the bill says, as the facts are. Right. So we really appreciate that. So we've been, uh, so Bill, thanks so much. Bill Sullivan, executive vice president of advocacy with the American trucking associations. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks Bill. Wow, man. Um, I want to say pretty good for a guy who works with truckers all day. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it feels there's so much, you know, when he joined us in the green room pre uh, pre pre-show, uh, I feel like I got 16 pages of notes on what he shared there and and um, what we were able to, just how much ground we were able to cover in, what, 35 minutes with Bill here. I thought it was home run stuff. What did you think, Greg? Yeah, well, I mean, that's what you have to do in Washington. Everything happens so fast. Mm. You have to be very concise and direct. And, and um, you know, you have to have your story and your facts straight when you have these discussions because it's let's talk about it and we're on to the next thing, yeah. right? Um, this is a big thing, right? Yes. Obviously, infrastructure is a big thing, but it's been addressed in those 30-second snippets as well. So I think he does a great job of of presenting the story, helping us understand it, doing so in a, a pretty balanced way. And um, look, I mean, he doesn't make any apologies, apologies for who he is. He's an <laughs> Eastern Tennessee guy. Right. <laughs> so... Um, he draws the line. He draws the line at the at the time zone. I'm sure, right? <laughs> sure does. Uh, I, and I love that too, Aaron. The name of that publication. I think it is the Association of Civil Engineers. It could be the American Association of Civil Engineers. Um, ASCE comes to mind. But if you Google right. Google the, infra- the U.S. Infrastructure Report Card, and that should give you what you're looking for. So, good question there. And also, uh, Greg. And look, what we. Folks know I am no trucking transportation industry expert, right? Uh, When I was in manufacturing, of course, we used it. But uh, I'm going to share this from Jill. Jill looks like she's in a no. I want to share this this comment here. So Jill says, the pool of motor carrier drivers is critical, which we know that. Um, Everybody are out there battling for the same small pool of drivers. The incentives are increasing rates that are being passed on to end customers. However, the amount of time Drivers need to wait to pick up a container due to congestion is not a short amount of time. What no one seems to bring up, now this is what I want to get to, is the chassis shortage in the chassis pools that is preventing containers from getting picked up. Chassis shortages are also creating the congestion at the port. That's an excellent point from someone that seems like uh, been there and done it, Greg. Yeah, and I think I think people are aware of it. 
I've heard that this whole chassis shortage thing, you know, every, everything is either in a bubble or in a shortage. It seems like right now, doesn't it? It does. But, um, that I've heard about this chassis shortage. What I think is difficult is doing anything about it because guess what it takes to build a chassis? Steel. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's this sort of catch 22 that we're in right now with, We've got an incredible labor shortage as people continue to be paid to stay at home for one more day. Get ready to get back to work, people. Um, and and of course, materials are, um, especially steel, comes from overseas. Right. And overseas has its own struggles with labor, as we reported earlier, and of course, COVID um, and other, you know, other kinds of disruptions. Plus, as as Bill said also. When we flip back on the economy, we didn't expect a boom. Right. And what we got was boom, boom. of all booms. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> so, um, hey, so one last thing. We can't tackle it here, but uh, I read today or uh, maybe yesterday, China, one of the largest producers of steel in the world, is is um, bringing production down. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll see how that how that. Uh, play that that factors out and plays out in in the uh, weeks and months to come. But okay, folks, what a great guest with Bill Sullivan with the American Trucking Associations. Be sure to check out trucking.org. Lots of resources there. Uh, Greg, a pleasure to do this. Great. uh, Loved seeing your pictures related to your Kansas City trip. I hope y'all got some, you know, I didn't ask you one final question. I promise we'll close out folks. The food in Kansas City, did you get some of the Oh, really good sorry. barbecue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I uh, yeah, we had uh, Joe's uh, barbecue. Joe, Joe's Kansas City barbecue it used to be called Oklahoma Joe's, but he got so much protest from people in Kansas and Missouri about it that he changed the name. Outstanding. We had uh, brisket and turkey and burnt ends, which is a uniquely Kansas City thing, right? Yep. And um, all it's like. It's like you could feel the smoke being pulled through it. Absolutely delicious. Well, it sounds delicious, and you had me at burnt. Uh, so um, one one last comment here. It's Jill, this is some good stuff. I really appreciate you sharing and joining us today. The orders to fulfill the, the chassis on back right. order, eight-year backlog. Holy cow, Jill. Good stuff there. Uh, well, I mean, good good information, bad news, but, hey, that's okay. Um, all right, so Greg, uh, look forward to talking. Football season is upon us. There'll be yeah. more stuff to, um, as we continue to make strides, despite some numbers, towards more and more norm, uh, normalcy, and that is a good thing, right? We're going to get past this. We're going to blow into the post-pandemic environment, and uh, you know, we're going to help our friends down the Gulf Coast rebuild from their efforts, and uh, we're all in it together. Maybe same boat, different storm, I think I've heard it call yeah. and i think that's a pretty accurate way but greg great to have you back big thanks to bill sullivan and the american trucking associations big thanks by the way to donna Krejci for her facilitation i think she was in the comments earlier love donna and we love our atlanta braves uh yeah. big thanks to the whole team behind the scenes jada and amanda and clay and ally uh folks most importantly here today you got to act on this challenge right so much uh so much help that needs that folks need out there hey do good give forward, be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. 
Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.